Emotional intelligence is behind every single success we've ever had, and also every failure. Welcome to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Sabina. And today we have an exciting topic. It's something that you maybe you've heard, something you maybe seen on the internet, maybe someone else or your, your friends were talking about, but maybe you don't know a lot about it. And no, we're not talking about RevOps yet, but we're talking about emotional intelligence. This show, we talked to Rebecca Devaney and Kate Babcock. They're the founders of Culture Theory. Culture Theory is a company that trains teams and organizations in emotional intelligence to transform their productivity and culture, maximize their effectiveness, build team cohesion, and accelerate thoughtful and ambitious leaders. And this episode was really fun to record. Um, through the conversation with them, you know, talking about different scenarios, kind of where they came from to how to how they how they came to this idea of you know, training teams through, uh, you know, emotional intelligence was really reflective and an interesting process to go through and how it impacted them and really thinking about how uh, awareness of emotions really can have an impact of of your life, the people around you, the people you work with, your coworkers and everybody. Um, And as we talked a lot about sales marketing, we also talked about a lot of different scenarios for all types of people. And this this episode is, is a great episode for anybody, for you know, people that are team leaders, directors, VPs, if you're starting your career, if you, you know, just dealing with, uh, you know, people at home or other vendors, this is a great episode. And we, you know, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast. Uh, my name is Alex and I am joined today with a co-host of Sabina. Sabina, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Haven't been kicked off yet. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> still got a running uh, two episodes so far. And our guest today is Rebecca and Kate from Culture Theory. Rebecca and Kate, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited about this, and we were connected kind of by a mutual friend, and you know we're going to be talking about all about emotional intelligence today, and something that I think is obviously becoming more more of a talked about issue, more people are thinking about it, more people are addressing it. But maybe if you guys can start for I think for most people they've heard that term, they think they know what it means. But can you give us like what what is emotional intelligence and and why should we be thinking about it? Um well, emotional intelligence I think was first coined by Jane Austen. Uh, which she just has one sentence about emotional intelligence in uh, one of her books. And then in the 50s, it was picked up by educational thought leaders, sort of seeing this potential for building out frameworks around our emotional experience as people. And these are the, these are the experiences that we all have, the experience of developing self-awareness, regulation, empathy, social skills, these frameworks sort of became more solidified. Uh, Daniel Goldman is known as the person who made it famous. And since then, um, we're finally seeing in the past five years it moving from academia and into the workplace, into schools. Um, and we're seeing it because we do have these fractures in society. We have fractures within ourselves, within our workplaces, where that emotional experience is either being ignored or it's not being supported. So if you're not supporting your your workers' development as people, and part of that is their emotional intelligence, um, I don't think people are doing their job if they're not supporting that part of a person. Um, so if you want to think about the definition, it's simply the ability or capacity to use, understand, and um, your own emotions and other people's emotions. Uh, and that could be manifest as empathy. It could manifest in social skills. It could manifest in really good decision making. Um, but it's sort of our work on this planet to both evangelize for emotional intelligence and also to help make it extremely tactical and executable, whether it's in education, whether it's in an NGO or workplaces. So we can all just get a little bit better, um, both as people, but also as coworkers and um and also more successful. Yep, sort of taking it out of the theoretical and applying it to um, to daily life, to daily circumstances. To 
I to per to ask you personally, why? How did you to decide this is what you wanted to do? Like, how did you wake up one day and say, "I'm going to help uh, people understand and discover and 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 help them work on their emotional intelligence"? Like, what what's your origin story on on doing this? Well, for me, uh, mine, it actually started when um, my dad pointed it out to me in high school as a skill set I had before I really knew what the heck it was. Um, he said, you know, you really do have high emotional intelligence. And I was like, great, awesome. I felt like I was struggling so badly with school because I had undiagnosed ADD, which is very common as a woman. Um, and uh, and so I felt like a failure a lot of the times, but I was still selected as like team captain for things. And I was selected for leadership retreats at school, even though my my um, my grades were me- mediocre. They were, I did fine, but I wasn't great. Um, and those skills, um, because I kind of had them as a, a strength as a kid, they kind of, um, I, I focused on them a little bit and used them to really, uh, to benefit me in the workplace and help me with my career and noticed that a lot of the reasons people kind of got in their own way around me were because of things that they weren't kind of, uh, they didn't have self-regulation or they didn't have self-awareness. They weren't able to sort of see where they were kind of getting in their own way <laughs> and and then try to remove those roadblocks from themselves. And um, I found it as like an, as a hugely uh, beneficial skill set as a manager, as a young manager, I was 24 when I was my, when I managed um, a surgical practice um, just outside of Boston, and and uh, it became the sort of skill set that allowed me to excel, allowed me to go farther, and um, was something that actually we talk about a lot was was a natural set of strengths that I had that I then focused on because it made me feel good to work on them. I felt good because I could be I could be strong in this area where in other areas I didn't feel as strong. So then um, as we started sort of not cycling, not cycling through businesses, but developing businesses, Rebecca and I together, we um, we kind of naturally kind of came to this as after focusing on working on culture, like company cultures, business cultures, um, the core of, of, a, of a healthy company culture is actually having um, a workforce that is emotionally intelligent that um, and having leadership that's emotionally intelligent and that you can't really achieve other business objectives without um, without having an emotionally intelligent um, staff company leadership team. And Rebecca came to it actually at a very similar age. <laughs> we, yeah. had, we had kind of parallel so, tracks, but um, yeah. very different so, stories. So Kate and, <laughs> um, Kate and I grew up really close to each other, but somehow we never met despite having all the same interests, which is very strange until we were in our early 30s. Um, so I actually, when I was 12 or 13, I had my dad went to jail and I had a lot of really huge interpersonal issues that I can't even, I didn't even talk for a year. And I had really bad PTSD and yeah, and I actually got, this is so weird, but I had this guy who would bully me and I thought it was so funny because I thought, I don't know why anyone would bully me. I have nothing to lose. I am like, I have a resilience that only somebody who is completely traumatized could have in some weird ways. And I stood up to this guy one day and he actually became my friend because bullies also obviously are very messed up. And he became my best friend. And he gave me the book on emotional intelligence by Daniel Goldman. And I read it and it was like the world, like everything that I had been told were poor instincts, you know, like I have, I had a lot of empathy. Um, You know, I had kind of been told that wasn't a good thing. And then awareness and all these things. And I was like, all my hunches about the world were like, aha, this guy's validating me. And I really took down that, like, this is the key to success piece. And within a year, I was valedictorian. I went from being an okay student to being like, okay, so how do I get out of this situation? And I would wake up, I'd say at 4.30 in the morning, and I got two Ivy League degrees. I've had four companies. And I'd say almost, I can't imagine how much of it I owe to studying emotional intelligence and prioritizing it my whole life. So I'm not, it's not that I'm more emotionally intelligent. I just know it's important. Like I, cause I've lived it my whole life. 
And I, I think that for both of us, it's not that we are more emotionally intelligent, like Rebecca said, than anybody else. It's that we have placed a focus on it for a really long time. And that's the, the whole point of emotional intelligence. One of the best things about it is that everyone has it and everyone has the ability uh, to develop it further over the course of their lives. It's just a matter of how much attention you, you place on it and direct towards it. That's so interesting that you both at a very specific age felt like you just like you discovered it, uh, like it was something that you finally kind of realized inside of yourself that, oh, the reason why I'm good at X, Y, Z is because of because of this, because now you've been been made aware. And I think in a lot of cases, not just emotional intelligence, but a lot of things that once you become aware of something, then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's something you know you can work on, something you can focus on. And it seems like you you both had different situations, different, you know, you know, different different ways of getting to it, but kind of came to the same yeah. the same conclusion. And like you- Kate with you, so kinda of, oh go ahead. I was just going to ask you, it's, uh, if you'd ever read a book and then all of a sudden you, you hear references to that book everywhere or you, or, or, um, like a classic or something where yes, you may have, you know, like yeah. Moby Dick, but then you read Moby Dick and then you see references to it everywhere. Um, afterwards, um, it's sort of like that where you raise your awareness of something and then all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Mine yeah. was buying a car yeah. and I was like, I have never seen this car on the road and now I see them everywhere. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a little less educated than a book, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, what you've both kind of described to you know, Kate, you more specifically was uh, you you kind of became a good you, you became a good leader and manager. You were, you were, did it at a young age. You know, you were involved in leadership retreats at school, and and then in that, a lot of people like to counter that. Mind people say is like, well, you're just a, you're good at leadership and you're a good manager. Um, how how would you tell someone? Is there a difference? Is there a difference between like being a good manager and being like being being aware of your your emotional intelligence that you can work on? Or are those do those go hand in hand? Um, I would say that they, well, they kind of, I do think they go hand in hand, uh, if you are somebody who doesn't intentionally seek leadership, but then ultimately <laughs> gets defaulted into leadership positions, which is what I, what kept happening to me. So I kept being surprised that I was nominated for the section leader, um, position and my chorus or like, or being nominated to be a, you know, a, I thought I was flying under the radar. I thought I was just being friends with people. I thought I was being helpful. I thought I was like, you know, being supportive of my teammates and my and my employees. And, you know, I never I never I didn't seek the first management position I had. I wasn't looking for it. But because (laughs) I had these skills that I wasn't really, um, you know, as a young kid, I wasn't looking to develop them necessarily. But it was um, it was something where I think if you don't seek out, but you end up finding yourself in leadership or management positions a lot, it's because of these skills a lot of the time. Um, so I do think they go hand in hand with unintentional leadership, leadership positions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I would ahead. I would add, oh, I would just add that. So my background has been as an executive and Kate's has been as a manager. So we're well, we're well attuned to answer this question. And what I would say is that everyone Kate has managed has chosen to have her manage them. And everyone I've led has chosen to follow what I have done. Leaders are just a little more vision management, you know, or vision uh, focused and managers are more sort of team building. Like Kate is a human border collie. Mm -hmm. She can manage a team, run around in circles, get them to do what she needs. (laughs) I can't do that, but I can create a vision and I can create a strategy for moving forward. But no one's going to do anything that we say without being the type of person, you know, leading with integrity, being honest, um, hiring the right people. Like emotional intelligence is behind every single success we've ever had. Mm -hmm. And also every failure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. So now let's talk. Let's talk more about. So both of you said you kind of became aware of it through your own your own way, your own time. But once you became aware of it, you realized it was something that you could work on, and you could either uh, you know I don't know what what's the right word like word practice. 
to work on, like, you know, you both decided that this is something that you, you have, and it's a, a, a big asset that you have and something that you knew you could improve. So let's talk about how you go about that. Um, how did you, how does one, how does one improve their emotional intelligence? How do you take time to, to work on it? Like, how do you set, what, what are some things you can do? What are some, I, I ask like, how do people come aware of it to do that? I'm kind of curious on like the next practical item yeah. for that. Well, I think developing your awareness is like kind of the foundation of, of it as we've, as we've already talked about. It's like, how do you, you can't, you can't be aware, you can't fix the problem until you're aware of the problem. And, um, and not that your know, emotions are a problem. They're just, they just are. Emotions are actually incredibly valuable, whether they're um, good emotions or bad. Em- there isn't a really good or bad emotion. It's more like, is it, is it helpful to you? And if it's not, how do you regulate it? <laughs> um, and uh, it, is it helpful to you in the given situation or not? Um, it's all context, I guess. But the, um, but with, I guess with the uh, building the awareness um, it's, it starts with not only, you know, just getting some initial information, but I think it starts with asking yourself, asking questions and emotional intelligence. I think in general, the basis of it is asking, asking questions, asking questions of yourself and, um, giving yourself the space to (laughs) receive any of any, any information, whatever the information is, um, and not really judging it and not acting on it until you kind of understand it better. Um, yeah, I w- there's a go ahead. There's a um, statistic I read the other day where it said that only 36 percent of the av- the average American can correctly identify their emotion, and I think the amount of people that think they can is probably around like 95, right? So this is what we deal with, and that and it's a, something that we have to acknowledge as part of our work. Uh, but just acknowledge, just knowing what you're feeling, like if you're feeling angry or if you're feeling sad that actually is pretty much the most valuable thing you can do in terms of your entire life is just simply know how you feel and once you know you know how you feel like sort of uh learning how to regulate it and once you can regulate it you can start using your emotions to your benefit to uh, using emotional information to inform your decisions to inform how you act with people and there's so many resources out there if there's one area that might be difficult, like emotional regulation, for instance. Um, they have, in anger management courses, they have people go on a three-month anger cleanse. And all that is is giving people <laughs> space and time to notice they're angry. That's it. That's it. And it changes people's lives. Like, I'm watching Pam and Tommy right now, and Tommy, like... <laughs> had to go to anger management. I'm, I can't believe how much more I know about both of them now. Um, but, but like I really helped them because a lot of times people go from angry to action so fast that they never even realize like, oh, I'm angry. This is why. And this is what the outcome is. And we're doing some work with um, gender violence um, and hopefully we'll be doing more of it sort of globally. And what we found out is that a lot of there's all these intervention points, whether it's at the doctor or with village elders or wherever um, wherever women are being mistreated, and they score lower on the EI section of just understanding their emotions. So instead of having these huge interventions that are going to make people run away and be like, nothing's wrong, just helping them at every one of those moments being like, how do you feel? What made you feel that way? what do you want to do? And just reiterating that they have that path that inoculates women from harm. So that's how powerful just like the simplest piece of this can be. Yeah, I would I would say that oftentimes it's easiest to start to break into, you know, developing your own emotional intelligence from a from an inflection point. So um, from a start starting with a particular fight that you and your spouse have over and over and over and over and over again, where you've had the same fight for, you know, years now, multiple times. And, and looking at that, looking at that disagreement, why you keep having it, what is your own part? What's your own part in the cycle that you have with within that fight with your spouse? What's theirs? What are you feeling? And 
are, is that really what you're feeling? Or is that just a reaction to the annoyance of the 50 times you've had this fight already? <laughs> or is it the, and getting down to sort of the root of something, really being um, willing to kind of dive dive into it, dive deep and um, take some ownership. And, um, and then once you kind of understand those like cyclical things or that big, you know, inflection point in your life, um, how did you get there? How did I, how did you contribute to getting there? What were the other factors that were out of your control? And then looking at what was in your control and then saying, okay, well, what do I want to do about that thing now that I know that these things are within my control? What can I do to start to change that? And then those are the actions that you can then start to take, whether that's just learning more or whether it is actually having conversations or getting a, getting help from somebody else, like a friend or a therapist or a mentor or whoever, a coach. Um, so that's what I would say. Sometimes it's, it's easiest to look at it from something that's more explosive than it is from the more subtle things that we go through every day, all day long. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a three-year-old. So I feel like I, <laughs> I go through this all the time and we're like always working on him. Like, why are you mad? Why are you upset? Like, you know, trying to get him to tell us, you know, to think about it and say like, well, you know, after about five minutes, he usually has no idea why, he, why they he was upset. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, it's interesting it's to think to of it as, yeah, it's interesting to think about it like for adults, like going through that now, um, of going through that exercise, like, why am I upset? Oh, well, someone sent me a Slack message that could have been passive aggressive, but could have been fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why I'm mm-hmm. mad. Uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, the difference, hopefully, between your three-year-old and adults is that, like, adults have a fully developed frontal lobe, and uh, <laughs> they, their brains are fully developed. So there's, they have a greater likelihood yeah. of being able to possibly articulate their feelings, whereas, like, your three-year-old <laughs> just doesn't have it. They don't have it yet. Um, it only yeah. develops <laughs> at 25, though. So if you did anything really irresponsible yeah. under 25, you're fine. Then, yeah. I'm fine. Not a big okay. deal. Yeah. yeah. That's good yeah, to your know. Brain, That's your brain damaged. Brain damage till 25. Yeah. That's good will, to know. I will say though, like with the Slack <laughs> message, the, I mean, what, a lot of what we're talking about here is when you build, when you kind of build your most emotional intelligence, you build the, you give yourself t- almost time, time. You basically bend time and space within yourself because you like, by having the ability to pause and not just react, but give yourself the time and the luxury of responding if you want to respond. Um, or if you think it's the best idea to respond as opposed to just like telling <laughs> off the person who sends you the passive aggressive, possibly passive aggressive um, <laughs> Slack message. Like maybe it wasn't actually intended to be passive aggressive. Um, yeah. yeah. Is, is hopefully the goal. I think I learned a long time ago that like if something makes you angry and you want to respond immediately, don't. Like resist all urges, you know, like write the email, but don't put anything in the subject line or the send bar and then just like sit on it. And like three days later, you'll probably not even remember why it was such a big deal. But that oh, yeah. I think that initial like knee jerk response of like, oh, this hurt my feelings. I want to make them have make their feelings hurt as well. It's just like <laughs> re- regulation in the sense of like, I don't have to say this right now and it's not productive. So we're just going to. We're going to pause and then we'll come back to it later. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's my goal of the response? This is the thing is, oh, well, it's just that. So we live in this economy that has this sort of tit for tat vibe, right? How do we help each other if we're always responding? Because people are constantly doing rude things right? To all of us. We're, we're having people say things that are offensive, things that get under our skin, things that echo our like little secret traumas, people speaking down to us because they had a bad day somewhere else, people taking things out on us that aren't our fault. Mm-hmm. But we, we actually have so much power over taking those moments. And if you can have the confidence to be like, okay, we're raising we're raising each other together as adults. Like that's how I kind of see it is like, we're all practicing AI. If we all practice AI, it's like, hey, I noticed that you were just really aggressive towards me. That really hurt my feelings. I also am wondering why, and then we can make sure that that doesn't happen again. I mean, I have these conversations with my husband, like fair, not that often, but once in a while, but I couldn't even have them five years ago. I couldn't just be like, this is my feeling. This was your action. 
it did not make me feel this way. I do feel this way, you know, and that whole idea of cause of effect. And that's been so hard for me to be like, no one's causing me to feel anyway. It's my piece. I can <laughs> give it away if I want to, which, you know, I do quite a bit. But it's like, I felt a certain way because somebody did something. And all I really need to do is tell them that thing. And a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I haven't slept in two days. Or sometimes you find out they're going through something kind of horrid, which I'm sure has happened to all of you, where somebody's mistreated you and then you find out like, yeah. and it's like these moments, it can almost become a moment of connection, mm -hmm. unless it's the same dude doing it all the time. And it's like, no, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, cutting it off. Let's, yeah. So I let's, have... let's bring this to, oh, go ahead, Sabina. I keep cutting you off, Sabina. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, I have a question. So if you are dealing with an adult, you know, above 25, which like I'm 24 still, so I can, I can still get away with it. Oh, you're on the line. <laughs> Make some I bad know. decisions. <laughs> I'm like physically incapable of like doing irresponsible things. I went to a tennis court last night and the sign said no activities other than tennis in the courts. And I was like, guys, I don't think we should kick the soccer ball in here. <laughs> and the sign says we shouldn't. So I'm like physically averse to all of those things. But, um, if you're dealing with someone who's like above 25 and maybe acts like Alex's three-year-old, you know, who is not really mm -hmm. in touch with their emotions, doesn't know how to self-regulate their responses. Um, how do you deal with someone who, or not even deal, but how do you work with somebody who has like low emotional intelligence in a way that's productive for both parties, especially in maybe like the workplace, if like older generations, you know, it's like, just grind through it, like ignore it, rub some dirt on it, you know, like that very push through mentality of ignore your emotions mentality. How do you work with somebody who maybe, maybe feels that way? So if you come to them with like, this is how I feel. And they're like, I don't really care how you feel. Like, how do you deal with that situation? Well, I would say, first of all, understand how what your goal of telling them how you feel is um what is the what's the outcome you would like to achieve and maybe articulate that outcome <laughs> to them as part of why you're telling them what you're feeling um and that might be uh that you have to continue to work together no matter what unless one of you leaves or both of you um or you have i guess one of the reasons that working with dealing uh, or developing or focusing on emotional intelligence in the workplace is that it is kind of a safe environment in in and also a it's an environment in which you you really can't extricate your, none of you can really extricate yourselves unless you choose to find another job so you are kind of all trapped together um and also <laughs> you are you do but you do all have this a common usually a common objective i mean if you're working with somebody then you have something in common that you're trying to work towards which means that there is some sort of um because of that you can you can focus on the goal as opposed to um the person and if you can both uh uh fo focus on that as opposed to each other's um uh annoyance I guess, or annoying behaviors or um, like not productive behaviors then, or start there at least, start with the common objective um, to then try to build build the relationship further. Um, that is if you can't, you know, avoid them. Um, and I guess, yeah, sorry, I lost, uh, I lost the oh. train there. Rebecca, well, I don't know we were, know. we also, well, I, you know, if you're speaking of dysregulation, so it's hard to think like, you know, not emotionally intelligent, the person could be extremely emotionally intelligent and just have lots of problems or have, so I think like just asking enough questions where some trust is built, because once you have some trust, you might be able to find out more the nature of what the challenge is. Um, because without trust, you know, like nothing ever happens. And then we refer out to psychologists a lot. We're not therapists. We're not psychologists, but we're very ad we're adjunct to that. So there's a line that happens. And we've done this many times because we find out that there is a dysregulation that somebody needs some help with that is beyond our scope. So sometimes that's an issue. I mean, we have so many I, I'm sure you've all 
had people who have gotten mental health help and they just become like the best version of themselves, you know, that's the goal. So to be able to build the trust, to have the conversation that could lead to either an intervention like that or just at least being able to tell them how it makes you feel, which is like the hardest thing in the world, but it's really helpful at work. <laughs> I would also say um, within a team too, the if you're trying to raise the collective emotional intelligence of of a team, so if you have a if you have other allies or people who work similarly to you or have similar feelings to you, um, it's not that you want to gang up on the person who might be exhibiting the um, sort of maladaptive behavior, but you you if you're collectively raising the EI of your team, it's going to make it uncomfortable for the person who doesn't also raise their emotional intelligence mm. or focus on their emotional intelligence. It's going to make them uncomfortable within the team. And they might either, they're going to get uncomfortable enough that they will either, there, there are three <laughs> likely possibilities. <laughs> one, one that they, that they decide, okay, to leave, which is, you know, which has happened. And, or two, that they are going to try to focus on and develop there's as well um or three they become you know extraordinarily um disruptive and then become a problem where they're going to actually they so they react by becoming even more problematic and then they're going to result in the kind of um repercussions like you know warnings and possibly termination um but you usually one of those three things is going to happen so rather than <laughs> focusing on that maybe also rather than focusing your attention on trying to ad adapt that person's behavior or get that person to change, you can focus on yourself, developing yourself, focus on people who actually are looking to develop themselves as well and um, and sort of build helping build the culture around you that you want to work in. Um, and that includes your leadership too, talking to them about what your goals are for the team um, so that you, are focusing on the positive behaviors and kind of minimizing the the non-productive behaviors or bad behaviors and um, and trying to make it an environment that you want to work in that you also is likely not going to be an environment other people will want to work in if they're not they don't share the same values. I feel like there's that so helpful. much there. I feel like there's so much to unpack on all of this. And it's like, what, how, how, uh, I know we said this would be 25 to 40 minutes. And uh, I feel like this could be like a three hour conversation because it's, there's so many different areas and aspects to go on. And one thing, I, so I want to bring it to, um, you know, we've kind of got these, we've kind of got these scenarios that we've kind of worked on that, that I, you know, we have a team of 11. Um, we have, you know, three owners that are effectively the managers of different departments. And so like, I feel like some of these are, you know, I'm sure we've had internally, some of them at bigger companies. So kind of thinking about these as scenarios and we wanted to get your thoughts on these. And so they're from like an employee perspective and from employer, you know, manager perspective. So are you guys, you guys game for that? Can we give you, can we put you on the spot here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gonna, I kind of want to answer with it. ridiculous things because it's such a heavy time, but I'm going to try and give a professional <laughs> response. Yeah, 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 I know. There's, see, again, there's so many more directions we can go in. Um, we could just do this all okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I will be very serious. You can have a little bit of both in there, I think. Yeah, break yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah, we can have a little fun. <laughs> um, so I will give you guys the first one from an employee perspective. So my boss doesn't give me helpful feedback. Like, what do I do? How do I work with that situation? Um, well, I would say uh, define for yourself what kind of feedback you would find helpful specifically. Um, and uh, the, con the context of that feedback, uh, the kind of feedback, whether it's... Um, uh, I'm having trouble pulling out an exact example of what I guess like so do you uh, do you are you more do you need uh, do you need tough love do you need somebody to not like not sugarcoat things do you need the the um, do you need like the compliment sandwich kind of uh, thing or do you need something written down do you need it to be one on one do you need it to be um, 
something where you do regular check-ins um, and have it be more common? Do you want it? So figure out exactly what specifics around the kind of feedback that you would find helpful are, and then schedule a time with your boss to have a conversation about that. If you don't already have a regular kind of time to, to set down, set up to, to do that. And then also ask them what kind of feedback would be helpful for them as well. What kind of, how, what kind of feedback would they like? How would they like to receive that? Um, uh, yeah, there's a, the, to add on that, there's a stat that I think it's 59% of people who aren't properly onboarded, uh, leave within three years. So within onboarding, there should be like a feed, a feedback section where, you know, it's not just, this is when you'll get feedback. It's, Hey, what kind of feedback do you like? What motivates you? What does it look like? You know, the who, what, when, where of feedback. And then in the worst case situation, you know, you just hold the boss hostage till they tell you. Mm -hmm. That works really well. <laughs> you're you're uh, advocating for hostage uh, situations. Yeah. That's, your, that's your boss. That's your boss, right, Sabina? Yeah. One of them. Uh, One of them. Uh, not technically. Not technically. Well, I was just like thinking to myself, I was like, uh-oh. Uh, like, am I going to get like a lot of like hostile Slack messages until I give proper feedback? But uh, I, I think I like what you say. It's like, give the, ex what do you tell them what you expect? Like set the expectations, set the, the tone. If you want written feedback with bullet points, like basically ask for what is best for you. And hopefully, hopefully you, you know, if the boss is also uh, working on their emotional intelligence, they might already be having that conversation like on the onboarding like you yeah. said um but that's it's that's super interesting i mean like think of when you guys think of these scenarios i mean i think in companies in general but you know we're, we're we work with marketers and salespeople, so they're dealing with you know how do they get feedback on a sales process which they, that might be a little more tough love direct marketing it might be like ah it needs to be more professional tone which is very broad feedback yes. and i think i think it's uh marketers kind of get the brunt of how do we uh how do we how do we define what my boss just said into tangible changes mm -hmm. um, yeah which well yeah. part of that not in your head like yep yep yeah part of that is, <laughs> is going going away yeah. and then thinking about whatever feedback they've given you and then and then say then coming back to them and saying, okay, is this what you meant? Clarifying, like clarifying of expectations all around. So until you, and then you might have to do that multiple times because they might say, no, that's not what I meant. And then, and then they might give you equally vague feedback on what you've presented, or they might give you more specifics and you sort of whittle down until you get to the truth of whatever it is that they're looking for. Um, I would say also, I mean, so this is also depending on whether or not your boss has given you problematic feedback many times before and might have a style that really doesn't work with you or whether this is somebody who is a newer boss and like you're just at starting out the relationship with them right where like you know hope uh, the ideal is that you have this conversation at the beginning on in your onboarding in the beginning of the relationship or maybe even in your interview like how do you receive feedback what kinds of feedback do you receive well or what's the delivery system of that, but if you're not, and if you're kind of entrenched already, and you're, um, which is probably more people's situation than not, um, then it's like, okay, well, if you do have this conversation and you do give them the um, kindly, also without like going into a conversation like that with giving them the benefit of that of the doubt that they want to give you effective feedback, even if you think they might not want to give you effective feedback, but giving people the benefit of the doubt in general, including your boss, that they want to be good to you and they want you to produce <laughs> good work and that part of you producing good work is you getting effective feedback. Okay, so I'm going to give them the information they need in order to be a better boss to me. And then also giving them the time to then and the opportunity to modify their behavior <laughs> to try to accommodate this stuff yeah. that you've told them so that they're not immediately like failing within the first week. So maybe because we yeah. all know how hard it is to modify our behavior that goes for our bosses as well. It takes a lot of work to change and attention to change. And if you're a boss who has 11 employees, that's, you know, that's a that's a good sized team. Or if you have an, a huge company or for, for a corporation, they're going to have hundreds of employees, maybe thousands of employees. So it might take a little time for them to accommodate the behavior. But, you know, have your have your sort of threshold of what what that might 
but that healthy time frame might be too, where you then have a further explain, uh, expectation or you have another con- a follow-up conversation about it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask one from the employer perspective. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel like we at Beacon's Point try to be as open and have conversations to avoid this, but I know there's a lot of companies right now with a lot of, they've gone, they have now gone remote. Uh, and this is something they're learning how to do and learning how to manage teams that aren't in the same building as them. Uh, and with this work, from home, you know, what divides work from personal is a very fine line. So how, from an employee, employer perspective, you know, like a, a manager, how can they, what are like the signs of burnout and how can they uh, help address it, you know, maybe before it even gets there. But if they see signs of burnout, you know, what are some things that they can think about actions they can take anything? Uh, I think a lot of times we think of burnout as, uh, you know, somebody just coming in and yelling and throwing something. And in actuality, a lot of times it looks like apathy where, you know, you just have lack of interest, lack of motivation, lack of pleasure. It looks almost like workplace depression. That's how I've seen it manifest. And it's something that um, it's why we can't, we can't, uh, ignore it because not only does it affect the person and a lot of times it's personal, it could be something like they have a new kid, as you know, from having a kid, like how much, what did that do to your life? (laughs) There's things outside of work that just turn our lives upside down. So I think like knowing that burnout can be real quiet and listening and talking to people about it. So we know right now everyone's under a lot of stress, you know, for instance, like half, I'm married to a Russian person and then the other half of our family is Ukrainian on that side. And we're pretty devastated. You wouldn't know that unless I just told you. And, you know, talking to my Ukrainian cousins last week, I was devastated. And that's not even, I'm barely touching the situation. But like everyone's fighting so many battles that it's like, okay, if that battle is starting to manifest where they can't perform their job, that's when we just have to be human beings. And I think that's where it gets a little bit, um, we think that we're like, there's always been this veneer that there's work and then there's life and there's (laughs) professional you and then there's life you. And the truth is there's just you and there's just life. That's it. There's nothing, there's nothing else. And if we don't treat each other like that, if, if, you know, you can't go to the people that you work with and say, Hey, having a really tough time right now. I'm having burnout. And they and hopefully you have people around you who are like, what do you do when you are burnt out? Because everyone's answer to that is different. I don't know. Does everyone here? Yeah. Have, I mean, for me, I'm like a, I just sort of, I basically, I like to be alone. I like to watch a bad movie, go in a sauna. Like I like to just, but I really have to be alone to kind of restore, which is, just personal. No one would know that unless I told them. I don't know how, do you, do you guys, do you have coping mechanisms that are very specific that work for you? I think I'm still trying to find mine to be quite honest. I'm not really sure um, what my, my comeback is <laughs> at this point mm-hmm. in my life. So. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently yeah. your brain's now fully developed, Sabina. So it's not your I fault yeah. at 24. <laughs> yeah. I got like another So you still have time. figure it out (laughs) i think that's i I love your i love that answer though i love that response to that too though that because i i do think that it does it age does help because you just because you develop a diversification of those of those things that help relieve that stress hopefully i mean you 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 develop more stressors i think but you also develop (laughs) the ability to um to manage them as well so What's your diversification of happiness? What's your diversification of stress release? So that if one doesn't work at a given time, like that's basically what I've had to figure out during during this the past couple of years is um, I've had to uh, re reinvestigate or like reconfigure my my um, my strategies for burnout or my strategies for this this whole situation, this whole stress, full situation that we've been in, where some things that worked 
initially when we were in first all you know shut quarantined and everybody working from home i needed to get out and go for a run um most most days i needed to because i wasn't getting the sort of passive walking activity to go to the train station every day and um and i had sort of excess pent up you know anxiety and i needed to go for a run or go for a walk um now those those coping mechanisms are different they are different i now go and like I don't know. They they they've developed over the over the course of the pandemic, um, and so you you it might be that you have more social time. It might be that you have less social time. It might be that you have physical activities that you decide you need to do um, to help. Um, but having more than one is is a is a good idea. Having more than one friend you can go to um, or or confidant or rely on like a healthy emotional relationship you can rely on is good because we because we're all going through this sometimes you don't have the reserves to be there for the person who might be low you might be low as well so having multiple people you can reach out to um that kind of thing so you're not you're not like an island um without any help and to go back to our first point about you know the self-awareness piece you'll feel the burnout like kind of lifting and that's how you know what your thing is. Like maybe it is going to a tennis court and breaking in, playing a little soccer, right? The door, the door was open. There was just a sign that said I mean, they were, asking, they were asking you to break a rule, Sabina. They were asking. It was my friend uh, invitation. They were like, you're so uncomfortable maybe, right now, aren't you? I was like, yes, I'm very uncomfortable. Maybe your, maybe your brush with danger alleviate your stress and then you can get into like, dirt bike riding or something but but whatever it is everyone is so fundamentally different but it is paying attention to like wait a second that horrible feeling that carries with me all day is suddenly gone I'm eating vegetables note to self vegetables are part of my rest and relaxation plan it doesn't you know it doesn't next that's why we have jobs next we will be jaywalking Oh, oh I had she to would never. Not, I went, not she our would Sabina. Never. I went to New York and I was jaywalking. I was like, look at me being a New Yorker. And then I came here. I was like, I can't do this anymore. You got to come back to California standards. <laughs> walk into the street. Yeah. But I do like the point you made about having multiple people you can go to, because I think we all have that friend who's kind of maybe going through a rough patch and are usually low and so their low brings you lower and so it kind of becomes more toxic than helpful for both of you so I think that's really important because uh it might seem selfish to some uh, or it might feel selfish to be like oh well my friend needs my help even though I'm really struggling so I need to be there for them even if I'm not there for myself which you know it's never selfish to like take that time that you need you know in order to be a better friend or a better co-worker or leader whatever oh, yeah. that is sometimes it takes to be a bit the better friend you actually do need to be honest about that uh, with yourself and with with your friend um you may you may not have the capacity all the time and that's okay and mm-hmm. um being honest about that that it's not also that it's not them either that like it's it's something with you and it's not mm-hmm. something that they've done because if you just don't answer somebody's texts your friends texts or something because you just can't handle their problems right now they're yeah. gonna think they did something wrong <laughs> and yeah and so letting them know that they didn't then is um is also a good thing too and letting them know that you're also going through something then you guys can kind of commiserate and then you mm-hmm. then you're both oh, okay well we're both in this together everything's shitty great <laughs> let's let's be in it together yeah um yeah, Sorry, I, I just swore and I realized I just swore and I didn't realize if I, I if we could swear here. Oh, I didn't even yeah. think of it. Sorry. Okay. Uh, it, that's fine. Yeah. We'll just say it's like a reference to Moby Dick. Because uh, now that now that you've said Moby Dick, it's gonna be everywhere. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like uh for, for me, burnout when I was in my twenties to th- like early I should say like twenties to thirties, I don't feel like burnout was as um it wasn't something I ever thought about. It was just like I was working in advertising and in, in like film video. And it was like this. This is just the job that I signed up for. And I, I don't know if I, I just I had physical things I went and did. So when I left, it was over. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was until I started, you know, with my uh, business partners, this company, that burnout became like a thing. 
And I think my, I like answered burnout by working more, mm-hmm. um, which that helps. Um, case. <laughs> but I think, so like my burnout when I was younger was definitely social was like, let's go, let's go get happy hour. Like let's go hang out with people. Um, and now that I have kids and the pandemic that pretty much, I don't know what happy hour is anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, t- it takes different shapes. So I think you're like your, your coping mechanisms mm-hmm. definitely shift as you, you change or your yeah. environments change, which is interesting. I haven't really thought about it. You know, I eat vegetables. That makes me happy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I listen to an audio book and walk the dog and that calms me down, you know, didn't really, uh, I guess I need to work on my emotional intelligence of tuning into my feelings more because mm-hmm. I never really thought of it that way. Your emotions, they your feelings, show. they give you yeah. so much information not, not to listen to them or not to pay attention yeah. to them, de- like deprives you of, yeah. of uh, oh. a lot of intelligence, <laughs> it deprives you of a lot of information. <laughs> and as a, as a man living in a patriarchy, we were all told, you know, like yeah, th- those are soft yeah. skills. Those aren't important. When in actuality, people are totally unreasonable and yet they're emotionally, it, they they make sense emotionally. Like you can't deny an emotion. And then people do things and everyone's like, no, reason is so important. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Because all I see are people having emotional uh, decisions exactly. that they later come up with logical reasons for and tell you the logical reason. It's like, no, I saw you. You bought that shirt because it was green. Like 70% of shirts are bought because of the color they are. No one cares what, you know, it's just so, it's such madness. And it's really unfair to men specifically, I think. I mean, to everyone, but like men being told, like, whatever you do, don't use emotions or understand your emotions because that would be weakness. And it's like, that's literally the opposite. We're biologically wired to be powerful from a place of emotional strength. Like literally all men on the planet, you know, are wired that way. uh, And you were lied to. I'm on a boy tie team and the guys are great. They are, but they're, they're, they come from the background of like, net up or shut up. Like, don't talk about it, like punch through the pain, like all of that stuff. And I'm glad they have that outlet, but Mm -hmm. just being around them, I'm sitting in the corner like, you know, guys, therapy is really cool. And I think you should try it. I think it would be good for you. (laughs) They're like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go lift. I go, okay, that's fine. Very funny. I mean, do you even emotionally intelligent, bro? I mean, it, it, it is like... It is so much information and and emotions are driving decisions all the time. It's just, are you aware of those emotions or not? I mean, focusing on your own awareness allows you to receive a lot more information and make much more powerful, much better decisions um, because you have more information. You're not just suppressing it, ignoring it, um, or <laughs> shoving it down, down and away, punching it out. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, too, for well, someone who's like, I don't really want yeah. to be in touch with my emotions. It's like, when have you ever like had when is something negative ever come out of like having more information? Like, probably never, you know, because inform- it's just information like mm. you can label it as whatever you want. But at the end of the day, it's like, here you go. Now make a, an educated choice, you know, rather than like, oh, you're emotional. It's like, no, I just I understand the situation for what it is, you know? Yeah. And emotions are going to impact your decision no matter what. So you know, being aware of them, knowing what they are and knowing how they're contributing to how you feel about a decision you have to make is um, a lot more powerful and informed than not. I mean, they're going to, you're, it's again, the difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is letting the emotion like run away without you and responding is taking into account and then making it like a calculated choice to then take an action. Yeah. Critical. It's interesting. Like the older I've gotten, I think the better I have realized that if someone's doing something that's bothering you, uh, maybe being married for uh, (laughs) 10 years Kids now, uh, like the time for conversations, you know, with my wife has certainly uh, dropped, like the amount of time we have to have just one-on-one conversations. Mm -hmm. And so things can fester and, you know, they can take Mm -hmm. a long time to clear. And that's happened in the past, you know, friendships, you know, other relationships. And I think 
uh, it's all coming full circle. Like, I don't think I tied it together again. This is a, such an enlightening <laughs> conversation, to, at least for myself, that that even even my awareness to know that I just need to say what's bothering me, even though that's going to be weird and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. uh, usually resolves the situation in minutes versus, uh, you know, I'm just going to just going to be quiet and upset for another four days, uh, yeah. which everybody knows something's wrong, but yeah, nobody mm-hmm. is has the time to talk about it. Also, when what? <laughs> Alex, that was my signature move I'm, in I'm my fine. marriage. Was like being like, "Oh, yeah. I know. I'm gonna hold the relationship sure. hostage go the by park? not okay. telling him what I'm upset <laughs> about." And oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna just quietly. And I, he actually, my my husband told me that I had to start talking about my feelings. This is like seven or eight years ago, and I was just sitting there, and I was like. I talk about feelings all the time. And then I just sort of thought in my head on my terms, like, because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to be vulnerable because then he could hurt me if I said, oh, like, I feel really hurt by this thing. And it doesn't even make sense. But it does because feelings always make sense. That's you can't. I once had my I saw my cousin walking with her little boy and he was crying. And she. Mm-hmm. I heard her say, well, you can't deny a feeling. And I remember just being like, I would have done anything to have heard that when I was that kid's age because I spent a lot of time denying feelings I thought were wrong or embarrassing or vulnerable. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, yeah. we're all well, just walking around trying to do the best we can. But yeah, I had to well, learn to talk it, about my feelings. Not only does it like, awkward. not only does everybody know also that something <laughs> awkward or something is going on or is in the air, but sometimes you're both feeling actually something very similar or you're feeling something that they don't even that they don't know your feeling or like wasn't the intent whatsoever. And so by just simply stating the awkward thing that um, or the uncomfortable thing, it not only kind of frees up, I'll use COVID as like as an example, but it, it not only frees up your own mind, but it it also might be something that you're you're giving them the gift of articulating because they might be feeling it too. Like when reemerging, I'm, I'm from um, I lived in Salem, Massachusetts for like 16 years. And one of my favorite places in the world is a restaurant that's very, very, um, it's literally, it's a shanty. Um, it's very shabby in downtown Salem, but the crew of people who work there are like family at this point because I had a studio that was right across the street from them. And after the, they kind of reopened after the pandemic sort of allowed us to reopen restaurants and, and whatnot, the staff, I hadn't seen them in like, I don't know, however long it was, six months, eight months, something like that. And I went down and I was talking to them outside. I was talking to these people who were like family to me. And at one point, like I could not actually focus on the conversation because in my brain, I was like, I am feeling so awkward right now. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to stand. I know these people so well and I don't know how to interact with them. I feel wicked uncomfortable. And so I just said it out loud. <laughs> I feel really awkward, guys. I don't know why. And I, it's just I'm having a really hard time. And I'm really happy to see you. And I also don't know what to say right now. And they were like, oh, yeah, we've been feeling that, too. It's fine. It's no problem. Um, it's super weird. And once you actually voice the thing that is distracting your mind from moving forward or developing a solution or just getting past that one awkward point or that uncomfortable point, then it's out there. It has a lot less power. It's a lot heavier, a lot less heavy rather. And now it's shared between you and that other person. And you've given them the opportunity to then say, oh yeah, I feel that too. Or, oh yeah, that's totally normal. Or, oh, that sucks. Or, okay, well, what do we want to do about it? Um, As opposed to it just being this thing that kind of lingers or hangs between you. Well, we are, we are well past the time I said, uh, oh, this would probably take to record. So I'm going to close this out. <laughs> I have one last question for you. And I kind of want you to think about this in the, in the sense of, you know, the audience and whatnot, but what does, what does emotional intelligence training look like? And like, what is your philosophy, your model? Like how, if someone asks you like, well, I want to get, I want to improve my leadership's emotional intelligence. Like what's your, what's your answer to that? Or your like your pitch for that. Um, well, we could talk about just one part of that was, um, what our model is. So our model is, uh, sort of 
stands on the shoulder of giants. It's from um, both emotional intelligence from Daniel Goleman's work and also social and emotional learning. And what we start with, it's seven steps. And these are areas that we focus in, but we will focus on a specific area. So we could do like sales training, but have these areas as a focus. And we're doing a lot with decision-making right now at the corporate level. Um, so the first piece is optimism. And we don't mean optimism in a, the delusional, the way people think of it. We literally mean just like a hope for a better outcome. Because without that, no one's ever going to do the hard but way more rewarding work of developing their capacity for emotional intelligence. Um, the second piece is self-awareness. And you can think of these as building blocks. Then emotional regulation. Um, You've got resilience. We put resilience in there because we um, are planning on doing a lot of work with companies and in areas that really need this and building building that self-awareness and that regulation piece into strength. Um, and then after that is sort of the, if you think of emotional intelligence as building a self to society, we've got social skills, empathy, and decision-making. And so that those seven things are basically like, over here you've got yourself and here is your community. It could be your workplace, society, whatever it is. And we help develop all those pieces because they all go together and we strengthen organizations. So whether that's through workshops, consulting, coaching, um, doing talks, I think our favorite thing right now is probably doing workshop series, like doing like three months of workshops because then we can sort of set up a Slack channel for people to talk about what they're learning. And, uh, and that's what, yeah, so that's what emotional intelligence training can look like. We can also have it as an adjunct to primary intervention. So if somebody, for instance, is doing um, humanitarian work, we can help build just an adjunct to that. We don't know their primary field. We're not trying to become an expert in everything. We can just kind of give whatever the initiative <laughs> is success steroids. Because that's yeah. ultimately emotional intelligence is the way that you become most successful, which is something we didn't talk about. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a nice say, side in addition to that, that was a really good um, frame uh, framing. Rebecca, good job. The um, I would say, <laughs> so I would say yes, you could hire somebody <laughs> Thanks, to help lady. you do co like leadership development, <laughs> coaching, um, and things that they could then translate to their teams. You could do something where a consultant like us comes in and works with an entire team or company. Um, or you could work within within your own company to, or your own community or your own circles to see, to knowing, we all know people who have a higher level of emotional intelligence who seem to have those skills innately or, or whether they're innate or not, whether they're something that somebody's focused on. We know people who have better skills than others. So seeking out within your own company or your world um, mentors or help or as a if you are a leader if you are a um, an employer of others um, setting up mentorship programs within your companies so if you don't have the funds to to you know purchase services from an outside firm developing mentorship within your company is a great way to, to do that I, we, we're huge advocates for mentorship in organizations across the board um it's it's beneficial for both mentors and mentees and this could be one of the areas that they focus on i would also say just reading um reading emotional intelligence by daniel goleman is a great place to start um but there are there are lots of books out there now at this point or podcasts yeah. too i was actually going to ask you guys for your like rapid fire like resources so like the books the podcasts you would recommend um and if we're going over too long, then you can always just like shoot us an email with them and we'll share them. But you know, up to you. One, one of my favorites that I, I guess that I use a lot that I found personally very informative and a really powerful tool is, um, although in general, it may not be helpful for people um, who don't have the same relationship to expectations that I do. But um, Gretchen Rubin, she, she has something called the four tendon four tendencies. And um, it is a framework that focuses on how people respond to expectations, how people meet expectations. And all people on earth tend to fall into four categories, one of four categories, which is super interesting as well. Um, so her book, The Four Tendencies, is all about that. And um, and it's it's very, very interesting. And, and then you, when you read these things, you, again, like you start to think about all the people around you and how they respond to expectations and why. And not only does it give you information about yourself, but others and how to deal better with others and how to get people to meet expectations. So if you are a boss, how do you motivate people who, uh, how do you motivate different kinds of people to meet the expectations they need to meet? 
Um, so that's one, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I guess my favorite podcast hasn't come out yet, but it's um, going to be either The Emotional Intelligence Show with Kate and Rebecca, or I have one with my husband called Married with Lifetime, where we make fun of Lifetime movies, because humor is a very important part of emotional intelligence, where we watch the worst ones. We just did a double family, double feature about a guy who like Ooh. secretly has a second family, and it's just so dumb. Um, but beyond that, I would say, uh, you know, everyone loves Brene Brown, so it's kind of ridiculous to say Brene Brown, but Brene Brown. Um, I would also say Daniel Goleman is doing really cool work. PositivePsychology.com has tons, tons yep. of resources. SixSeconds.org, tons of resources. The UN has a lot of resources that are about EI, but they won't say EI. Um, there's just, a, mm -hmm. there's so much out there, um, and yet there isn't enough. And it's not tactical enough. And that's what we really hope in the next like five years to develop is just massive amounts of content where we can have, you know, all the things we discussed today, yeah. we discussed so many things that would be great yeah. to exist in like a little one minute clip or something. So those are a couple of good ones. Um, and I plugged <laughs> us. And besides, yeah, um, there's, there's so many. Um, but I just really hope that if there's one takeaway from us, it's that um, everyone has emotional intelligence and an emotionally intelligent life doesn't just help you, it will make you more successful, and it will make you probably more content with your life. But it actually rebuilds society. All these people are fractured, you know, they're not talking to their families over whether it's vaccines or politics or whatever it is, we're seeing fractures right now that um, are untenable in a healthy society and they're purposeful and they're fueled by misinformation. And we can use EI to just sort of <laughs> spackle over those. I'm in a home improvement stage. So like spackle all the cracks so we can just have like a healthier society for our children to grow up into and for us to engage in. It doesn't need to be complicated. And I think technology has made it a little complicated um, but yeah, I just want everyone to have the confidence to explore their journey and know that like, you know, it is a little bit of a movement. Like, let's see if we can write this ship. A that bit. is a great ending note. <laughs> I think that's perfect. I, I want to thank you both for the time. I know we went over and so I thank you for being flexible and for joining the show. You guys, this is, uh, I think one Sabine and I have been looking forward to as it okay. is, uh, so much unknown and so many questions and so many things, uh, we directions. And so, we had, to, we had to contain our excitement and try to not ask too many questions. But I thank you guys both for your time. It was wonderful. Um, well, I do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Right. I'm going to say this one more time. Sorry. I do have one more question. Do you guys thank have like you. social channels you want to plug or like websites? Oh, yeah. Like where can people oh, find yeah. you guys? Yeah. we Our oh, website yeah. is culturetheory.io and we have a blog there. Um, and we also have, um, we don't, we haven't really been putting out much on any other social handles, but we do have, um, we're culture theory nerds on Instagram and also on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Uh, and, and we do have, our, we have a lot of social media coming out. We've just mm -hmm. been hoarding it. It's time. But it's time. <laughs> um, anyway, we're yeah, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure, as always. Um, emotional and, intelligence, uh, as you can tell, yeah. we're a little bit... We're, <laughs> we're not <laughs> rabid in the slightest. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. we don't enjoy it at all. Yeah, nobody <laughs> here has enjoyed this. Yeah. <laughs> we would love to talk more around. specifically... <laughs> yeah, we would love to talk more specifically about, um, about marketing and sales yeah. um, problems specifically. Because, I mean, we, we can talk about the you know EI in general and EI in the workplace yeah. all day, but... Um, getting into the specifics is what makes it more helpful too. Um, yeah. I, I actually see this as like a, yeah. almost like a series that we can kind of touch base on. Um, you know, we get a lot of questions. We talk to a lot of people and there's a lot of, a lot of situations come up that, uh, you know, if you ask me, what are these situations? I can't think of them now, but as soon as they, exactly. you know, they, they kind of come up and we'll start taking some notes. Maybe we can do like a, like a Q and a yeah. almost uh, episode. We'll bring some questions and you guys bring uh Bring your ideas and thoughts. I love fun. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds All right. Well, thank you again. Fun. Enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Likewise. Right. Thank you. Thank you.